Uh, we're in the middle of a, yes, literally in the middle of a series that I'm doing. I, I don't do series. I don't know if I've ever done a series um, in the history here, but we are. And so it's called the Fivefold Family. Uh, so the Fivefold Ministry being Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher. And so today's one is on evangelistic community and the idea of, uh, of the Fivefold Ministry being here to equip the church as to how to be uh, the people of God. And I'm going to read, uh, starting off from the Passion Translation, Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. So all of you taking notes, uh, Ephesians 4, 11. And it says, and he is appointed, this is Jesus. So Jesus gives the fivefold ministry gifting. Oops. And it says, and he has appointed some with grace to be apostles some with grace to be prophets, some with grace to be evangelists, some with grace to be pastors or shepherds, and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness in the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God. And finally, we become one perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed in the abundance of Christ. So the beginning, the reasoning for the giving of these fivefold giftings, these grace gifts from Jesus, is ultimately that we would all become mature into the full dimensions of spiritually, spiritual maturity, fully developed in the abundance of Christ. Now, again, some would say that uh, today, oh, that, well, there's no apostles and prophets and maybe we've got some evangelists and definitely shepherds and teachers. Some would say that kind of finished. We don't need them anymore because, uh, you know, I mean, some would say because we've got the Bible and all that sort of stuff. But uh, for me, I would say, well, we need the fivefold ministry until we all come into oneness, the fullness of what it means to know God and Jesus we become one perfect man, the full dimensions of spiritual maturity, fully developed in the abundance of Christ. So who here has reached that place, has attained that level? Anyone? Anyone? Just me? No, no, I'm just an example of how to raise your hand, in case you forgot how to raise your hand. Um, so no one yet. So clearly we need these gift sets in order to develop and mature the body of Christ. And yet how common it is uh, that they're not functioning um, in the body. So can someone give me a bottle of water? some in the office so we have apostles prophets we've done them you can go back onto the public facebook page and listen to those other uh, sermons on that we had apostolic prophetic and now evangelistic so the third out of the five and i'm just going to share with you some uh some words that you may have heard before but not known where they came from or how they're connected uh, together we'll see if this works yeah. Woo! Well, it's a good start. All right. I'm, I'm good with technology. It's all right. Um, we'll get there. So, uh, so the first one is you, you, you've all heard the word evangelism. Okay. And so this is the, uh, well, it comes from the Latin, but that's the English word uh, that, that we would use. And then the Latin is evangelium, which comes from, it's uh, evangelium is a transliteration from euangelion which is the Greek word. So when you are reading through your Bible and you see the word evangelism, that's translated from the Greek, from the 
biblical Greek word, euangelion, and that word means good news. Okay? So euangelion in the Greek means good news. So when someone was reading that, they would read through. That's why sometimes it talks about the good news of the kingdom of God. That's the euangelion of the Basileia. Oh, yeah. Those seven years of Bible college really paid off right there. That's it. It was like... But this, this idea of good news, uh, so there's uh, different, sometimes it would be the uh, announcement like of a new emperor and those sorts of things, but it was often a, a runner that would, be, that would run from the battlefield and their job was to bring the good news back to the town of the conquering of a new land of the, you know, or, or a new king um, being appointed in this kind of way. So it was the role, like someone would actually run from one place to the next and announce and herald the good news. So we understand when Jesus came herald the good news he was announcing to the world to the nations that a new king is being appointed that victory is being won okay so we understand that this bringing of the good news and where it comes from in that so we've got then good news and then in old english when we've got the word god god spiel or god god spiel and that is where we get the word gospel from yeah? So, good news in the Old English is Godspell, and then we have Godspell is, that's where we get the word, so then we translate that into English. So, the word evangelism, gospel, same word. Anyone know that? Anyone not know that? News for anyone? Yeah, cool. So, when you read the gospel of the kingdom, means the good news of the kingdom, or the evangelism of the kingdom. It's all the same word in the Greek. All comes from euangelion. It's just the way that we have translated or transliterated that word into English. Cool? So it's the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, Luke 4, 43, Jesus says, uh, He said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So one of the purposes of Jesus coming to earth was to herald, was to proclaim, was to preach the good news of the coming kingdom of God. Was to let everybody know the kingdom of God is at hand. You would have heard Jesus say those words. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming near this new kingdom with a new king. Now, interestingly, when we, when we read that, we've maybe been taught that the gospel is um, that Jesus came to earth, he died on a cross for your sins, he rose again so you can have new life, and, uh, and one day he'll return to, uh, to bring you to heaven. Or when you die, you'll go to heaven, okay? You'll cross over from one side of the cliff, you know, across over the cross to the other side of the cliff, from the chasm of, of you know, sin and death and destruction to across to the other side of the chasm of, of life and abundance and all of that sort of stuff, okay? So that's often the gospel. When we talk about a gospel presentation, generally what people will be saying is those sorts of things um, to us. Now, that's part of the gospel, so without the death and burial and resurrection, the perfect life of Christ that he lived before that, we would not have the ability to enter into the kingdom of God. So it is good news that Jesus did all of those things. But we need to understand that the good news that Jesus proclaimed was much bigger than that. And he never actually um, spoke of the gospel in that way. He always talked about and demonstrated the reality of the kingdom of God coming to earth. It, wasn't, it was never about 
here's a free ticket to heaven when you die. It was all about this life and less about the life that is to come. And yet oftentimes the gospel that can be presented to people, to the world, or that we might share or might be shared with us is, hey, do you want to go to hell? No. Then you need to pray this prayer and you won't go to hell. Done. What next? Come, come along on a Sunday and read a Bible and pray. And that's, you know, that's kind of the, the thing. But it's not really about entering into the life of the kingdom of God and following Jesus. And this is, uh, there's two ways to read the Bible. There's two ways to read the history of God on the earth. And those, those two ways, you want to write this down? Because it's really important. Because it will come up at the next quiz night at the pub that you go to. So the two ways is synchronically and diachronically. Yeah, everyone say synchronically. Really important you get this, diachronically. Awesome. So what does synchronically mean? Anyone know what chronos means? Time. So sync, so in line with time. So the way, a way that we can read the history of God is the beginning, so creation, and then the fall, and then redemption in Christ, and then ultimately the restoration of all things. Okay? New heaven and new earth. The goal, when Jesus returns, we don't go to heaven, we go to new earth. Blow your minds. There you go. You can look that up yourself. Um, so one way is along the chronos of time, we have creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Ultimately, that's God's big plan of what's going on. Okay. Now, if we read it diachronically, so across the chronos, then we have this moment in time, this particular moment, which is the birth, the death, the resurrection, and the glorification of Christ. So if we understand the gospel as being a diachronic gospel, then we understand. We look at it and we say, okay, it was Jesus. He was born, he died, he was raised, and then he was glorified, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Okay? So that's one way to understand the gospel. But a broader context to understand it in is that God is the creator of all things, that humanity sinned against God and rebelled against God, and that whole way leading up to Christ coming, that redemption point, that God was keeping people I can't tell the point of Christ coming to redeem all of creation and ultimately to restore everything to its rightful order. So that is the fullest picture of the gospel and that, that element of Jesus dying on a cross, that's part of God's fuller kind of good news story. Yeah? We're capturing it? Cool. What are the two words? Yeah. All right. So Jesus said in Matthew 6, 9 to 10, this is the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've just pulled, I managed to find that last night, this obscure little scripture somewhere in the Bible that probably no one's ever heard before, but um, it's there. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was the prayer of Jesus, and that was the prayer that he gave to his disciples. Pray like this then, that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the same authority, structure, and process, and obedience, and all of that sort of stuff that goes on in the heavenly realms with the Father would be the same thing that would be activated and brought into action on the earth. So it's important that we understand the gospel being so much more than just getting someone across the line of salvation. 
Okay? That's part of it. It's a really important part, but it's not the fuller picture of what God has in store because the problem is then we can even look at ourselves and we say, well, I'm not really an evangelist. I'm, I'm more prophetic um, or I'm, I'm just more of a teacher or maybe I'm none of those things. And so I, you know, I'll leave the evangelism up to the evangelists. Uh, but the problem is that all of us are called to evangelize. All of us are disciples of Jesus. Every disciple of Jesus is called to be an evangelist and to bring the good news of the kingdom to the world. Evangelism isn't the responsibility of evangelists. The role of evangelists in a fivefold ministry context is to equip everyone to bring the good news of the kingdom to the world. But again, understanding it's not just about going and hunting someone down and, and getting in their face and telling them, hey, you want, you know, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? And again, that can be a challenging. And I'm not saying people don't make genuine decisions and responses to God in those moments. But I'm also saying I don't think every prayer that's ever been prayed, the, the sinner's prayer, has actually been a genuine, genuine response to the Father drawing them to Him. Not only that, it doesn't equip somebody for life in the kingdom. It's important to understand it's the bringing of the kingdom of God, not just declaring the fruit of the kingdom. So one fruit of the kingdom is eternal life. Now again, eternal life isn't just life that goes on forever. It's the life of God. You get to enter into the life of God. There's a whole lot of fruit that comes out of living in the kingdom of God. But our role is to bring that reality into the earth. To release it everywhere that we go, the reality of the kingdom of God. is to bring the kingdom to every sphere of society, every area of authority that you have. And this is, again, a Greek word, and we get the word metron. It's like your sphere of influence. So every place that God has given you authority in your life, your role is to bring the kingdom of God into that reality. The culture, the values, and the reality of God's kingdom into that place. Now, you might have a little sphere. You might have a really big sphere. Okay? You might, you know, work at McDonald's or you might own a McDonald's franchise. Either way, regardless of your how much, it's not about how much authority you have, it's about how responsible you are being with that measure of authority. In your family, in your home life, in your neighborhood, in your friendship networks, wherever it might be, whatever authority God has released to you, whatever sphere of influence you have, your role is to bring the reality of the kingdom of God into that place. Now, again, the, the kingdom of God is vast and expansive, and so it's going to look different in every context. It's going to have the flavor of God, but it's going to look different. The way that you would bring the kingdom of God into different areas is going to be radically different. In a family context, if you're a parent, then you have an authority over your children to spend that time and to invest in and to instill those values into your children in a way that you might not have if you're in the employee of a company. You might not have the same freedom to talk about Jesus as you would in your home life. But you still have a responsibility to bring the kingdom of God into those places. And so a question for you is, what does it look like for God's kingdom to infuse and impact every sphere of your life and then the influence of your life? What does it look like if, if I was fully living in the reality of the kingdom and fully expressing the reality of the kingdom in every sphere of influence that I have in my life, what would that look like? Would it look different to how you're living today? You're answering on the inside. 
So it's so important that we, um, you know, there's a corporate responsibility for the church, but there's that personal responsibility because everywhere I go, I carry the reality of the kingdom of God. Everywhere that I go, I carry the kingdom of God. I carry the power of God, the authority of God, the wisdom of God, the thoughts of God. 1 Corinthians 2 talks about that, you know, only the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God, and we have the mind of Christ, which is the Spirit of God. We have all the thoughts of God dwelling inside of us. Evangelism isn't the role of the leadership of the church to facilitate. It's everyone's responsibility. And again, sometimes I think we've kind of not let people off the hook, but we've, again, taken away the responsibility of the corporate body of Christ to evangelize. And we've made evangelism into like an event that we do. You know, we'll, we'll put on a, some bands and invite people in and then, you know, halfway through we'll hit them with a gospel presentation, you know, and challenge them and hopefully convict them to, pray, to come forward and to pray a prayer and to say yes to Jesus and, uh, and that's kind of the thing. Now, you need to understand, I'm not against altar calls, uh, all of that sort of stuff. As long as we understand, that's not, that's not a, a biblical approach to evangelism. It's not unbiblical or anti-biblical in any way, but it's a, it's, a com- uh, it's a more recent phenomenon, and yet incredibly common. So the last couple of hundred years, guys like Charles Finney, these big outdoor preachers, and they started to, to kind of find ways and utilize ways to, to get people to, to come forward and make a decision. And when the Holy Spirit's moving and people want to say yes to Jesus, it's like awesome. If, if I'm interacting with someone, it's like, do you want to follow Jesus? And they say yes, I'm going to pray with them. And I'm going to pray that they would make a commitment from their own will to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. So praying to God, making a commitment to follow Jesus is really good and really important. But in in no way is that some sort of like tick to say, well, you prayed that prayer, therefore you're filled with the Holy Spirit and, and you're in the kingdom of God. John 4 talks about the Spirit of God just moves where it wants to move. And that salvation is when, the, when you are born again by the Spirit of God. Now, that can come in that moment. It can come later than that moment. I've heard plenty of stories of people just literally encountering God, not knowing even what it is, and then discovering Him later on. So we don't really know when that happens necessarily. Sometimes it's really radical. Sometimes it's a slow progression. But that thing of just like praying a prayer, it's more like a superstitious kind of activity where we just go, oh, do, do these things, tick these boxes, you're in. But the problem is, if I think I'm in when I'm actually not in, then it's going to cause problems for me. Or if I think that that's what it's all about, I've prayed this prayer, now what? I'll go, go about your merry way, then no one's trained me how to live in the kingdom of God. So naturally, I'm going to continue to live in the same way. So I'm not going to experience the fruitfulness and the, the life-giving reality of the kingdom of God. So then eventually, I'm probably going to turn around and say, pray the prayer, what a waste of time that was. These people, these Christians, they talked up. God has been this amazing thing, this amazing experience. Oh, he wants abundant life for you and all this sort of stuff. Yet I prayed this prayer and nothing changed. Because I kept living exactly how I was living. Not knowing that there was a different way to live. Which again is why Jesus said, didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples. And the discipleship journey starts, can start way before the conversion experience. It's walking with people. Jesus, when he came to the disciples, he just called them and said, hey, come and follow me. They're like, okay. And they started following him. Now, all along the way, and you kind of pick up a little bit of frustration sometimes in Jesus. Now, I know there's no tone in the, in the words, but, you know, you could tell he was a little bit like, how are you guys not getting this? You know, so 
Again, if you're discipling people and you're getting frustrated, it's okay. Jesus got a little bit frustrated. Um, you've got to deal with your frustration, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just natural, but, but he, he drew them into the life that he was living. He displayed before them the reality of the kingdom of God. Everywhere that Jesus went, he displayed the kingdom and then he proclaimed the kingdom. Or he proclaimed the kingdom and then he displayed the kingdom. But the reality of the kingdom was always tied into the proclamation of the kingdom. He didn't just say, oh, it's, it's about this and, you know, you should just do this because it's the right thing for you to do and, hopefully, and when you die, you want to avoid this. So just pray this prayer. Um, all done. Sweet. No, he said, come and here's, here's the reality of the kingdom of God. Your legs, they weren't working. Now they're working. That's what God's kingdom looks like. Healing and restoration. Come and follow me. And I'll, and I'll teach you how to live in the reality of the kingdom of God. And many people didn't follow Jesus. He performed way more miracles than the people that he had following when he died on the cross. Thousands. I mean, one of the Gospels talks about more than could be written in the books that existed at that time. The, the number of miracles that Jesus performed. But again, not everyone chose to follow him. So as we've taken away that responsibility, we need to give back that responsibility to people. Because even if you run the most spectacular evangelistic event, you're still not going to get everybody wanting to be a part of that. Number one, because if you're honest enough to say it's a Christian event, I think you do that. One of the problems that I have is this whole bait and switch kind of technique that can happen. Where it's like, oh, come along and listen to some bands. Yeah, sure, I like bands. Come along then. Christian, all Christian bands. Someone gets up, preaches. Oh, it makes me feel guilty. It's like, it's, it's, it's a little bit dishonest. Because those people weren't drawn to Christ. They were drawn to come and see a band. They were drawn to the entertainment of the event. I mean, when we do that without what we do on a Sunday, if it's about drawing people in because they're going to be entertained by what you're offering. Like, you, 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 it's, it's dishonesty. And I'm not saying that's in the heart of the people that are doing it. I understand the best intentions of someone wanting people to, to meet Jesus, but then in, introduce them to Jesus. How did Jesus introduce people to Jesus? Say, Hello. Can I come over for a meal? Can I, can I cast out that demon that's been harassing you your whole life? Can I heal your legs so that you can walk again? And again, not everyone's just going to go, oh, you did. I've prayed for people. I remember one time I, um, I dropped off something at a, it was a Salvation Army, um, like emergency food relief place. And uh, so, the, yes, no, the lady was there. I, I, we'd, we were giving away Christmas presents to, to families that were struggling. And she had talked about her son, you know, really desperately wanting some headphones. And so I found out she was there getting a, a food parcel. And so I met her there and, and, you know, gave her the headphones to give to her son. And she was, you know, super happy about that. And, uh, but she was, had like excruciating back pain. And so she was sitting down in the chair. And, and so I'm just like, oh my gosh, I should probably pray. Got to be like Jesus. So I'm like, can I, can I pray for you? And she's like, sure. And so I prayed for her, pain completely gone. Like she's like, she, you know, she's like, like this. And then she's like, next to me, she's like, oh, like, you know, like doing all this, you know, hula hooping and all this sort of stuff. And I remember another time me and another guy visited, it was a client of his who was, you know, out of work for a long time and, and trying to get back into work. But uh, she was 
like literally in such pain that she couldn't breathe. Like she was struggling to talk to us. She's kind of sitting buckled over on the couch. And so we talked about it. So he was, um, uh, he was, it was a secular kind of role. So he brings me in as the Christian to, to, to talk to this lady. It's like a pastor, a local pastoral care person. Because then he's like, well, if you ask her if we can pray and she gets like offended, then I won't get in trouble. Okay, because I'm, oh, I didn't realize he was going to say that. So we're talking, he's thinking this. I'm thinking like, I wonder if she's ever asked Jesus to heal her. So I asked her and she's like, no. And so we pray and she was. So the first time we could, she was sitting down, we prayed for her. Then she could get up and she was like this, but literally like her struggling to breathe. And then a couple minutes later, she's up free, completely pain-free. Amazing, miraculous, God-only kind of thing that can happen. Okay. But did this lady then just go, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to him and do that. And it's like, well, no, she didn't. Like we talked about Jesus. I've been, I've had phone calls from random. I had a phone call from a real estate agent, another one from some person who said, I got your number from this person in Rockingham. I have no idea who it was, but they ring, they get my number, ring me up and say, I've got ghosts in my house and I've heard that you can help do something about it. So I'm like, sure. <laughs> like I've never done this stuff before, so, um, but we go over there and just and and pray. But talk about the kingdom of God, talk about the authority of Christ, talk about the spiritual realm, and do that, and then kick the demons out of the house, and uh, and everything goes and leaves. But again, it's not like people then are flocking and going, "Oh yes, I want to follow Jesus." I've seen people radically set free from demonic oppression and yet chosen not to follow Jesus. And I'm okay with that, but I'm not calling them a Christian, even if they pray to prayer. It's when they say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, and they leave their old life, and they start pursuing Him, okay, with my help. So again, when we, we need to understand the um, responsibility of evangelism, not just to do it, but then what you do after you do it. You've got to disciple people. This is, I get really frustrated sometimes when there's ministries that like, oh yeah, we saw 100 people saved, I'm like, awesome how are you going what's your plan to disciple these people we don't have a plan then i'm like stop to stop evangelizing them then because you're being irresponsible with people's lives you're introducing them to the fruit of jesus not to the person himself and to and then that call to follow him jesus is like are you sure that you have enough capacity to come and follow me because if you don't it's okay he says, no one, you know, goes to build a house without first making sure that they can afford to build the house. In the same way, if you can't afford to follow me, like Jesus wasn't trying to draw a crowd. He drew a crowd by the miracles, but the call to discipleship was significant on people and many didn't make it. There's a story in the scriptures where Jesus talks about, you know, if you, you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not fit to be my disciple. And the crowds are like, okay weirdo we're out of here thanks for the miracles thanks that i can walk out of here because my legs are healed jesus but not really interested in your kind of freaky flesh eating cult thing that you got going on here you know and the disciples hang around and jesus says to them well aren't you going to leave too that's pretty harsh jesus like you've come you know to to make disciples jesus surely you want to kind of you know make it a little bit easier for them but he literally puts that on them and they're like well, where are we going to go? We've come to believe and we know that you are the Son of God. We intimately have experienced the reality of your sonship. And still even in that, they didn't fully grasp what Jesus was going to do, but they grasped it enough, their hearts were captivated enough by Jesus to say, actually, you could probably say anything, Jesus, and we know who you are, so we're going to follow you and we're committed to you. 
So when it comes to bringing the kingdom and evangelizing, this way of kind of doing uh, even evangelism in the world is that oftentimes we take what we've learnt in corporate Christian community and we try and do that in the world. So we say, well, I'm, I, I work at a business place and, well, I got taught how to lead a Bible study, so I'm going to try and lead a Bible study at my workplace with a whole bunch of people who don't know Jesus. And I did it and then no one came. I'm like, I just don't get it. Where are you, Lord? Why have thou forsaken me? And I was like, well, why, why, why? Why would someone, I mean, and I'm, again, it might happen. You might have people that are like, oh, yeah, I'd be interested in learning the Bible. I'm, I'm quite, you know, I've studied a lot of, you know, uh, Eastern mystical religions, so uh, I'll give yours a crack, you know, and, or something. But, you know, like, it, it, but we just kind of have this mode of like, okay, well, I'll start a, a prayer meeting or I'll start, I'll do some sort of Christian activity in a non-Christian environment, hoping that it's going to have an impact and then being confused when it doesn't. Or we get disappointed and, and then so we kind of stop doing those things. And I mean, there's people that are kind of radical and they'll do it because they just seem to have no social awareness. Um, no, no, um, a passion that goes beyond uh, their, their um, yep. It's too common for, for, for us to think of evangelism as simply doing Christian things in a non-Christian environment. We need like a Holy Spirit creativity infusion when it comes to these areas, because every place is going to be different. Every workplace, every school environment, every context is going to be different because the Father is going to be doing different things in different ways. So number one, we need to tune in. What are you doing in this place, Father? What are you doing here? Because you, you're doing something, because you love people who don't know you yet. You're really passionate about wanting everyone to be saved and none to perish. So Father, what are you doing? Not what worked back then, what worked at that time, what I used to do, but Father, what are you doing? And tune into what God is doing. Okay? And he might be doing a whole lot of evangelism without mentioning Jesus at all. But he's just wanting to shape the culture of a place to reflect his kingdom. So a culture of honor, you know, a culture of love, a culture of respect, a culture where we, you know, we don't gossip about people. And you can be that person that actually just puts a, a block down, so I'm actually not going to engage with that. And oh, everyone's kind of joining in and, and mocking the new guy work. I'm, actually, I'm just not going to do that. Or you know, I'm not, just not going to enter into that, that culture and that way of doing things because I represent the king and I want to bring a, a different kingdom reality. You know, praying, interceding for that place, pouring in. Because if we're looking around for, a, for an opportunity to do some sort of Christian activity, it's possibly and probably not going to come. Because most people are going to go like, Ugh. no, I'm not interested in that Christian stuff. Um, where's Brett? Is he? Brett and Bethia. Anyway, Brett um, got, uh, he got an award last night for, um, for his work. So Brett works for a, a company that um, works with people with disabilities and, uh, and they do kind of um, council maintenance jobs and he oversees this group. He got nominated and got an award. But they were just sharing this morning that at this big kind of event, you know, 800 people, and they had um, some, like, I don't know if there was more than one, but uh, indigenous um, people. They often do, like, a welcome to country type thing, and, and I think it's really good to honor uh, the indigenous heritage of our land, and so not speaking against that in any way, but they got up and they spoke, and they talked about, yes, before the event, and we, we've been, um, you know, talking to our the ancestral spirits, and we've opened up a portal uh, above this place, and, you know, just to release the blessing of our ancestors and all this sort of stuff, and they're obviously sitting there going, oh, my goodness, like... Um, you know, 
how loud can we pray under our breath without it being noticed, you know? So, but, but see, this is the thing, and everyone would go, oh, lovely, oh, so good, oh, so good that we're honoring your culture, you know? And it's like, do you, you know, so it's like acceptable to do that. But now if you're as a Christian, so I'm just a Christian representative of this land and uh, yeah, and we'll just, you know, praying in tongues beforehand and, and we felt like, you know, that, um, you know, uh, this is the Bethel place and there's a stairway up to heaven and angels ascending and descending, there's open heavens over this place. People would be like, Christians and you're weird, you know, sort of stuff. But, but we understand like culturally there's a, there's a, in many places, a disdain of Christianity because of the way that Christianity has presented itself in culture and that's a whole nother uh, story, but uh, but we need to understand that the way to bring the kingdom of God is not just doing Christian things, or even saying, "Well, I like basketball," and so how about instead of being in a non-Christian basketball league, we we start up a Christian basketball league, league, you know? And then we can all, and there is one, and I know, and blah blah blah. But <laughs> oftentimes, Christian versions of sport are worse than the non-Christian versions in terms of like it's like an it's an opportunity where it's like for Christians to be you know, kind of violent and abusive and all this sort of stuff and like let all your rage out and it's, it's like crazy. But you know what I mean? Like that's not, you're just trying to Christianize an activity, thinking that's going to make some kind of big difference. And again, in that context, people meet Jesus, good stuff happens, but we've got this mode, it's like that's the way of doing it. And I'm like, man, God is way more creative than that. And he has way more ways. Because the reality is that when, when a large portion of our culture is not interested in Christianity, then you try and do Christian things, they're just not going to be interested because it has that label on it. So then the other way is then, well, we'll do Christian things. We just won't call it Christian. We'll kind of do a bit of a bait and switch. Oh, would you like this? Do you, do you want some of this? And slap them in the face with Jesus. And it's like, you know, like we try to trap people in. Rather than presenting Jesus in a way that people want to follow Jesus, that they, they love him. He, Jesus did it. He hung around prostitutes and tax collectors and the, 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 the kind of lowest form of society in those days. Women even. There's, there's, there's you know, um, in studies that they've done, that even in Jewish culture, women were oftentimes less valuable than dogs. In, or in, you know, in, Roman, in the culture of that time. So Jesus, now he's hanging around, he's got all these women following him. He's doing everything to challenge his reputation amongst the religious people. And yet, you know, uh, as Rachel even sang that beautiful free worship song last week, you know, about the woman who came in the prostitute uh, with the alabaster kind of jar and the perfume and pouring it over his feet and weeping over him. And, and like, that's the kind of people that Jesus drew. Those who in our culture today would be, want nothing to do with him, and yet they were drawn to Jesus. And he, he was just being him, telling people about the kingdom of God, releasing the reality of it. Is that all right? All right. So some simple ways that we can do that is just to love people, serve people, live out the reality of the kingdom, invite people into authentic Christian community. Share your victories and your defeats with people. Pray for miracles for people. Share your heart with people. Invite people into your life. Invite them to a barbecue. Don't invite them on a Sunday. Because it's not the, the church as corporate. It's not their role on a Sunday to preach the gospel to your non-Christian friends. That's your responsibility. You say, that's my responsibility. One, two, three. That's my responsibility. I'm releasing that responsibility back to you. 
Because it's those moments, those little poignant moments in conversation where God opens up that opportunity, maybe to share your testimony or just to pray for someone or just to love on them. It's all of those moments that we miss when we're just waiting to the time where they'll be open for me inviting them along on a Sunday. And yet we miss all of those opportunities. I remember speaking to a guy and um, he was just talking about, you know, like, I've tried evangelizing in my workplace and nothing kind of works and all this sort of stuff. And he's, I've tried this and I've tried that. I've invited people along to church and no one wants to come. And I'm, so I said to him, I said, have you ever invited someone along over to your house for a meal? And he was just like, what? <laughs> what are you crazy? Like, what kind of wacky idea is that? And I'm like, and I didn't, I didn't. I didn't say what I was thinking, but like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, man, that's like such a simple, normal thing to do. Just invite someone into your life. Invite someone into your journey. As Jesus is going places, he's like, come and follow me. Come and learn from me. And we don't do it in those kinds of ways. Like, hi, I'm, I'm Brad. Would you like to be my disciple? You know? But people, as they look to you, as they see the reality, as they're drawn to the fragrance of Christ on your life, they will start to want to follow you. They'll start to want to be around you. They'll start to want to do the things that you do. And I know there's that saying, you know, um, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And I get the, the premise of that, um, but it's really important to use words. I, th I think it is necessary actually to use words because you want to ultimately introduce them to Jesus. Um, you know, you're, we, we emanate and we embody Christ, but we're not, we're not a substitute for him. Um, so we want to we introduce people to Jesus. We want to get them filled with the Holy Spirit and all of that sort of stuff. As I said before, inviting them into Christian community, finding ways to draw people in. So again, when it's, it's your responsibility, but you do it as a community. So you can say, well, I've got, I've got someone at work who I've got a really good friendship with. I feel like they're maybe open. I get opportunity to talk about Jesus. So the responsibility for that person's discipleship, even when you bring them into Christian community, you still can carry that responsibility of discipleship, but you then invite your community into the journey with that person. So again, you don't just invite them over for dinner, but you, then, you invite other people from your Christian community to come and connect with them. And again, it's not like so you can trap them in a corner before they leave and you know, do a fire tunnel or something like that before they walk out the door. Like, because that's your genuine, that's your community, that's your people, but they're, they're coming around and going, oh, there's more like you. Wow, there's more like you. And you know, they, they're just getting, they're kind of, they're attracted to, to that kind of community. Uh, John... 13, verse, starting at verse 34, says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. People will know that you belong to Jesus by the way that you love one another in Christian community. Which again, you might be asking like, oh, Brad, we're talking about community health and heart journey again. You know, it's like, it's because of that. If we're not loving one another, we're not representing Christ to the world. People are going to look at us and go, you guys are just like everybody else. But again, if we just love one another and then we don't invite anyone into that love fest, then they're not going to know that you're the disciples of Jesus either. 
So it's doing community life together in a way and we're loving on one another and then inviting people into that context. And they can start to see, man, you guys love each other. You guys are genuinely committed. I've never experienced this kind of community. And we've had people in that context that they've just fallen in love with our community. Now, not all of them then fell in love with Jesus, but there's something so beautifully attractive when the manifestation of the reality of God comes in a community that people are drawn into that. And then we get to introduce them to the reason behind that. When we live as people captivated and consumed by God, then we won't struggle to tell people about Jesus because our life becomes inseparable from his reality. When we're consumed and captivated by Jesus, and again, it doesn't mean that we become kind of wackos that put spiritualized language on every little thing that we do. We don't have to say, oh, bless the Lord every you know, time when someone goes, oh, good job with that um, report that you did. Up. Oh, it's not me, all glory to God. You know, it's like, no, don't, just don't be a weirdo. <laughs> you don't need to be a weirdo. It's okay. But you know what I mean? But it's like, but when you're captivated like this, it's just going to naturally flow out of you. It's naturally going to become part of your life to tell people about Jesus. And this is the way that the kingdom comes. I'm going to read Matthew 13, starting at verse 31. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about this, like this small seed that just gets placed in or this leaven, you know, the yeast that's kind of just kneaded into the dough. It's a small thing that happens. It's all of these little small areas. Then all of a sudden it just penetrates and gets and flows through the whole thing. So that then what gets produced is saturated with the kingdom of God. So it's not about being overt, it's about being covert, but not in a way that's the whole bait and switch, but just living like Jesus in every context that you're in and releasing the kingdom of God into those places. It's like, it's like being a ninja, you know, hidden. And all of a sudden, when he shows himself, it's too late. You're dead. So again, it's not about a political or religious power or impact. It's infusing the culture of the kingdom into every realm of society. Again, people talk about the seven mountains of, of culture, you know, like education, religion, uh, politics, creative arts, blah, blah, blah. There's seven. You can look them up. Um, but again, it's important to understand that we, it's not about trying to um, reach the pinnacle. So it's like, well, if we had a, um, a Christian prime minister and we had a Christian you know, minister for education and we had a Christian this and a Christian that, then, then the whole nation would be saved. It's like, no, the mountain's supposed to be infused with the culture of the kingdom. And then ultimately, whoever's on top will, will come into alignment with the culture of the kingdom. The reality is the church has lost its role as the arbitrator of morality in our culture. But the, but the fact is, it was never meant to be the method of impact. The early church was a missional community and impacted society from the ground up. 
It wasn't recognized even as a religion. It was persecuted, the early church. And yet the culture of the kingdom just infiltrated every realm of society. To the point I was uh, talking to someone, or I heard someone sharing about this. I can't remember who it was. Um, but they were, yeah, speaking of, uh, you know, with Constantine, um, so in like 330 AD, um, made Christianity the national religion. And, uh, and we obviously say, well, that, that wasn't a good thing for the missional uh, framework of the church because it kind of institutionalized Christianity and lost a lot of its movemental impact. Okay. But this person was also saying, but the fact is that uh, Constantine had no choice because that was the dominant cultural reality of the time. It had infused every part of Roman culture in a way that if almost if he had presented anything else as the national religion, there would have been an uproar. But so everyone's Christian. I was like, oh, that's right. Yeah, I am. What's a Christian? They do this and they like this and like, oh, that's, that's me. Like they had just lived as the people of God. You know, they would rescue babies off the junk piles and they would, just the way that they would serve, the way that they would love drew people into that place and they shifted the culture of the earthly kingdom. You know, it's not up to politicians to determine the culture of our country. When we rely on public votes to set the tone for cultural morality, we have failed in our role to influence culture with the leaven of the kingdom. When we vote on things that the church would say, no, that is wrong, that is immoral, when it comes to already, when it's put to a vote, we've lost. Because the culture of a nation has already determined, no, we actually value immoral things over moral things. And yet we're waiting to, we're trying to fight at this political realm. It's like if you're fighting at that level, you've already lost power. Politicians make decisions that are in the best interest, not completely, I'm catching myself. But oftentimes, they try to do things that are in the best interest of their constituents. Because it's a popularity contest, really. You, you get into political power because people vote for you. Like that's the kind of democratic system is a is a popularity contest maybe <laughs> um so then you're going to vote and, and you're not going to do stuff that's kind of wacky if you're in you know in a place of significant influence you're not going to do stuff that the people that are voting for you are totally against okay so the problem is it's the people then who have set the culture in a nation that someone can stand up and say we should do this and everyone's like yeah we should and yet it's immoral and ungodly and then we stand there as Christians like, oh no, we should you know, fight the power and come. It's like, you know, we haven't fulfilled our role of enculturating the world with the kingdom of God. So the culture's already shifted and we're way behind the eight ball. Now we're trying to fight at that level. That should be the last kind of bastion of, of moral influence in the nation, in my opinion. You know, evangelism leads into discipleship. Discipleship is learning and living out the ways of the kingdom. As I said before, it starts before that salvation kind of moment where someone comes into the kingdom. They're learning the ways of the kingdom. But that's what Jesus did. He taught people how to live in the kingdom. And we need to understand when someone says yes to Jesus, it's our role then. I'm going to teach you how to live in the kingdom. Part of living the kingdom is, is being immersed into Christian community. As Jesus said in the Great Commission, baptizing them in, into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is essentially immersing people into Trinitarian community. 
you're immersing them into the reality of the Godhead. It's not dunking them three times or one time and saying some words. Anyone? Bueller? That's what it looks like. Immersing people into the culture of the kingdom. Immersing people into the reality of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey the commands of Jesus. So not teaching them the commands, but teaching them to obey. Hey, here's how you follow the ways of Jesus. Salvation is God's job. Discipleship is yours. And evangelism without discipleship is irresponsible. Jesus invited people into the reality of the kingdom. It was an experience. When the goal of evangelism evangelism is to get people to pray a prayer so that one day they'll go to heaven they miss out on all the fruit and life of the kingdom today we sell people short when we only present the gospel as personal salvation to avoid eternal punishment it's not the gospel that jesus preached so i don't see why we would be preaching it An evangelistic community carries the responsibility of the advancement of God's kingdom in all the ways that it comes. So again, we don't, we don't do it. It's God's, God's advancing it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we, we, when we carry that, we go, our job is to influence the culture. And it's not to put ourselves in a power position. Jesus warned his disciples against the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. He's saying, no, no, you do the leaven of the kingdom which is subversive. But the leaven, the leaven of, of Herod was the, was the political realm, that political spirit, that political kind of position. The leaven of the Pharisees was the religious spirit. He's saying, don't come into agreement with those things. Don't look for the highest place of, of moral influence from the top down. Don't look for the highest place of political power from the top down. Enculturate the world with the reality of the kingdom of God. And that will flow up and make an impact. So God's kingdom comes in a couple of ways. It comes through kingdom culture, as I've spoken a bit about, but it's, that's the discipling of the nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, all ethnos, all ethnic ethnicities, all peoples around the world. Our role is, is corporately to disciple nations. The role of the church, the ecclesia, is a spiritual governing body. So we have a role to disciple nations, to influence the culture of the nation, so of the region, of the nation, of the nations. So there's the large corporate reality, but then there's also the reality that the kingdom comes through individual salvation. So people being born again by the Holy Spirit. But if we focus simply on, oh, it's just about you praying a prayer and getting across the line, cool, done with you, next you know, come and, all right, pray this prayer, get you across the line, cool. Look at all the people that have prayed a prayer. Pat you on the back. They speak about in studies that they've done in the U.S. with the rise of the megachurch movement, the impact on culture is diminished. Because you get a whole lot of people packed into a room with maybe a lack of understanding of their responsibility to bring the kingdom of God to their world. They feel like it's my job to bring my friends to church. It's my job. I got them here. There you go. Preach the gospel. Get them saved. 
done my bit. But it's not. It's, it's your job to take someone and to journey with them into the, all the realities of God. So the good news of the kingdom is to be released. And it's so important that we must, we must know the good news. We've got we to know, we've got to understand what is the reality of what I'm sharing with the world. What's it all about? Is it just simply pray a prayer, go to heaven one day? Bang, gospel done. Or do I actually understand, oh no, it's, I've got to know that the, it's the good news of the kingdom of God. Not the good news that you go to heaven one day, the good news that God's kingdom has come. And I'm an ambassador for his kingdom. I literally represent the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's what you're called in the scriptures. You're an ambassador of the kingdom of God. So we must know the good news. We must embody the good news. That that reality of the kingdom has become part of who we are. That we don't just know the words that we're supposed to speak out. And this is where sometimes you get people who are maybe great evangelists at preaching the gospel, yet they're not living it out. They're telling everyone about Jesus, and yet they're complete jerks when they're not around people. And they do damage to the character of Christ, because they're hypocrites. This is what Jesus challenged the Pharisees on. He's like, you clean the outside of the cup, and yet the inside's all dirty and messed up. So we have to know the reality of the kingdom, know the good news of the kingdom of God embody it let it be infused in it this is the heart journey my heart being conformed to his heart every literally every part of my being coming into the reality of christ the fullness of christ and then we must live the good news so live it out in everything that we do when we're at the shops when we're driving in the car praise you Praise the Lord. Bless you for cutting me off. But living it out, living out the reality of the kingdom, that it becomes something that actually it impacts your everyday life. So it's like not, you know, we don't want prayer just to be a discipline that we do because the Bible tells us to do it. Well, I, I pray because I know that God is going to impact this situation. Or I pray because I need to know him. I need to hear his voice. I need his grace to walk out my normal everyday life. And then we must proclaim the good news. We've got to tell people about Jesus. It's a good thing to tell people about Jesus because he is the reason for your life being changed and transformed. We've got to tell people about Jesus. But again, it, it'll come in, in a whole vast variety of ways the opportunity when the opportunity comes but pray for the opportunity ask god for opportunities to tell people even just to share your testimony of what god has done in your life but the kingdom is there to be released so a couple of questions for you as you go away what does the good news of the kingdom of god mean to you what does it mean to you that you've encountered the kingdom of God, that you've encountered the king of the kingdom, that you've been invited into the reality of the kingdom of God. What does that mean to you? Because again, it will mean different things to different people. It'll mean different things depending on the season that you're in. 
If you're in a real season of hardship or brokenness, and then God is maybe, you just feel like he's, I just feel like he's my defender right now. Like different attributes of his nature get highlighted to us depending on the season that we're in. And look, we don't want to always live in response to our own place, but that's just kind of what we do. But what is, what is the kingdom of God? What does it mean to you? Knowing that, because that's what you're going to share with people. Not, well, um, they told me I'm supposed to tell them this and read through these scriptures and do this and here it is. But it doesn't, it's not connected to your heart. You know, fall in love with God, but but like know the things that are really meaningful to you. And it doesn't mean that's all the things of what who, who God is and what the kingdom of God is and who Jesus is, but it's the stuff that connects with your heart. And that's what's going to flow out most um, impactingly to the people around you. It's a word now. Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? And make a commitment to pray for them. Think about the people in your life. And oftentimes, you know, death brings uh, into, like before us, that reality of, of this life is going to end one day. And that can oftentimes be kind of an impetus to go, oh my gosh, there's people that I know that don't know Jesus and I don't want them to go to hell, so I need to, I need to talk to them about it. And again, that's, that's like grab hold of that impetus and use it because it's good. But it's thinking about what, is, what are the people that I, in my life, the people that I love that don't know Jesus, what are they missing out on today by not knowing him? And I'm going to pray for them. Pray for those opportunities to share the good news. Pray for the opportunities to tell them your story. Tell them about Jesus. Invite them into your Christian kind of community context. And this is something as well, like in your life hubs, like having opportunity where, like, we don't call the, the Wednesday or Thursday or whatever night meeting. That's not your life hub. Your life hub is a community of people. They do life together as a hub. Oh, that's what it means. But that's not, it's not a meeting. We, we, you have meetings because people are busy and they have stuff going on. They're trying just to randomly all drop into the same house at the same time on the same day, like it's probably not going to happen. Okay? But if that's all that your Christian community looks like is the scheduled meetings that you have, if you're not investing into the relationships of the people in that community, then you're also missing out on opportunities to invite people into your Christian community context. So we, we're, I'm okay with facilitating some measure of connection time, but we're not going to facilitate your life. And we deliberately try not to have lots of meetings. Like we really think about that. And we go, oh my gosh. And we even like, okay, we'll do Life Hubs fortnightly so that on the other fortnights we can have, if we have something on, we have the Green Tree Conference on. So we're like, okay, we're not going to have Life Hub gatherings this week because we don't want to burden people with extra meetings or activities. But the reason is, is not that so you can sit back and go, oh, wow, so easy being part of this community. There's no expectation on me so I could just do nothing. And we don't put a whole lot of expectation on you so you can do what Jesus is calling you to do. So you can take responsibility and go, it's like, oh, I'm just, I don't know anyone here. and I just don't have any friends. I just don't feel like I have community. It's like, it's because maybe you're not being responsible to build it. Because you're not investing in. I'm not getting a return on my relationships. Are you investing into them? Side note. And then... Think of ways 
that you can invite them into your journey, into your community, into your heart. Just be praying, God, how can I invite them into, into my journey, into what, I'm, like, what, what you mean for my life? How can I share with them? How can I invite them into my community? How can I draw them in so that they get to experience the reality of the kingdom? Because it's when they experience it, that's when people start to ask those questions and go, I've experienced something here. Something's captivated me here. When you prayed, I felt something happen in me and I want to know more. We've made, you know, the gospel a, a theoretical thing. When it never was to Jesus, he was never trying to intellectualize people. He even spent a majority of his time with very unintellectual people. But he displayed the kingdom of God. So again, our, our evangelism should contain signs and wonders within it. Oh, I could, I could never pray for healing. I'm, I'm not sure. It's like, what if Jesus tells you to? What are you going to do then? Yeah, signs and wonders were part of the life of Jesus. Signs and wonders should be an expected reality of everything that we do. I'm petrified every time I pray for someone for healing. Because <laughs> it's scary. Because the question is, what if it doesn't happen? And I want to tell you, sometimes it doesn't happen in the way that you think it should. But again, if my intent is to, is, if my primary thing is, I'm going to pray and they're going to get healed, if the intent is them getting healed, not them being loved, so that's how I approach it. If I'm going to pray for someone, my intent is to love on you and to let you know the love of God. I'm going to speak that over you. So the words that I use are very particular because I'm trying to demonstrate and communicate the heart of the Father. Now, what God does, whether he heals them or raises them from the dead or does whatever, that's the power of God doing that bit. But I'm being obedient to what he's called me to do. I'm just going to love on this person. And so you know what? When I come in with love and then I walk away going, I just loved that person. I, I accomplished what God has called me to. It's to love primarily above all things. And part of that love is I don't want them to be in pain. So I'm going to pray. And that's it. Done. I'd love to pray for you. Not to get any outcome just because I love you. But uh, why don't you stand? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Father God, we just recognize your heart, Lord, your love for your people, Father, your love and your concern for your lost sheep. That God, as you, as you say in, in the book of Romans, Lord, that your desire is that none would perish and that all would come to salvation, all would come to that saving knowledge of Christ as King. And so, Jesus, we acknowledge your kingship, your lordship, Father, in our hearts, Lord, in our lives, in this church community. And we want, to, we want the world to know that you are Lord, Jesus, and you're, not just that you're Lord, but you're a good God. You're a good Lord. But Father, we, we just pray, Lord, in, in whatever way that we have relegated the responsibility of, of evangelism, Father, where we've let go of our responsibility, Lord, help us, Holy Spirit, to take back on that responsibility to share, to proclaim, and to live out the good news of the kingdom of God in every area of our life, Lord. First, God, that it would consume us, Lord, that we would be consumed with the reality of the kingdom, Lord. 
that our hearts would be so full of that reality that we'd know it, we'd live it out, and it would impact and influence our behavior, Lord. It would impact and influence our thought life, Father. It would impact and influence the words that we speak, Lord, and the things that we put our energy and influence into, God. But Father, we also just pray for those in our lives that don't know you, Jesus, that you would stir up a great love in our hearts for them, Lord. And God, we wouldn't be looking for opportunities to, to you know, call them to an altar call, Lord. But we'd be looking for opportunities just to love on them. And Father, that you would release that Holy Spirit creativity. That we can just discover ways to share the gospel, share the good news of the kingdom in a way that is most impacting, Lord. That you would show us what you're doing and we would partner in with what you're doing, God. Because you're always doing something, Lord. And there's always opportunity for us to partner in with what you're doing. So we pray, Holy Spirit, awaken our eyes to see the Father, to see what the Father's doing, Lord. And Father, we would never view evangelism, Lord, as some sort of, you know, uh, badge of honor that we would wear, God. That when someone, you know, prays a prayer or, or meets you, Jesus, it's not that we would just be motivated by love, Lord. Purify our hearts in any way, God, that our hearts are being tainted, Lord. And we just thank you, Father God, for, uh, for those who will uh, come to know you through the example that you live out through our lives, Lord. We're just so excited and blessed to be used by you to impact the culture of this world with the culture of the kingdom, Lord. And to see people come to a saving knowledge of you, Jesus, just as we have, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Bless you guys. Thanks for listening for a long time.